Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy in banter. Gabe Darrick, hello. Every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question, which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic twin movies about the White House under siege. It's Olympus Has Fallen versus White House Down. Now, before we kick this thing off, we have a confession to make. Gabe and I attempted recording this before, and through no fault of our own, we had a little technical glitch in relation to our mic. So this is our second attempt, and I'm desperately hoping that we'll bring the same energy as the first recording, and not forgetting any of the, any of the hilarious insights we made the first time round. Promise me, Gabe? I promise, man. It'll be twice as good. Yeah. Twice as much energy. Okay. So let's start with our personal connection of Olympus Has Fallen. This week, the second sequel to Olympus Has Fallen, titled Angel Has Fallen, opens at the cinema. So let's jump back six years to when it all began by remembering our first encounter with these twin movies. On the 22nd of March, 2013, Olympus Has Fallen was released. Here's the IMDb synopsis. Disgraced Secret Service agent and former presidential guard Mike Banning finds himself trapped inside the White House in the wake of a terrorist attack. Using his inside knowledge, Banning works with national security to rescue the president from his kidnappers. So, Gabe, did you originally catch Olympus's fall when it was first released at the cinema? And what was that experience like? I didn't see this at the movies. I didn't actually know it at the time, but I wanted to savour the experience of watching Olympus Has Fallen for when I was very drunk, which I've done a number of times. Uh, I have to say this and its sequel are exquisite idiot drunk action movies and are best enjoyed that way. Though I should actually point out that I'm not watching these movies ironically, which is horrible. But uh, no, I didn't see it at the movies. But so I have seen on. it a number of times. Is that like a movie watching Cinephile Paradox where you're watching them drunk for the first time but not watching them ironically. Well, please watching explain. Any, watching any movie ironically is a terrible way to watch movies. You know, it assumes you, the viewer, are better than it and you're laughing kind of at it. I think Olympus Has Fallen is a movie you can enjoy with it. I mean, you just – you know what it is, though. I mean, it's not – It's Bun, not Shakespeare. Bun, it's not Rome Open City or classic Italian right. realism. Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Also, for those movies, not enough people get stabbed – in the head in Rocco and her five sisters or whatever that movie's called. <laughs> so you first caught it on, what, DVD or Blu-ray or something like that? Yeah, it must have been one of those. And was it a formative experience in your life or was it a, yeah, press record, have a few drinks and let it just wash over you? No, no, I mean, I really liked this movie and I liked watching it the first time. And look, it might have been because I was shit-faced. But yeah, like I said, I've returned to it. Always while drunk, but I've returned to it. Okay. Well, from my point of view, I guess way back six years ago, in some respects, this combination of movies in 2013 was actually almost a, I don't know, it sort of planted the seed for the idea of this podcast all that time ago, because it was the first time in a while that we'd had these twin movies occurring at the same time. So I saw it at our local multiplex cinema and I was pretty pumped to see it because I thought the concept was just fantastic. They say in screenwriting that if you come with an idea which you can describe in a one-line pitch and the idea is seems 
so classic, it's surprising that no one else has done it before, then it's a great idea. And when I heard this, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is Die Hard in the White House. What a great idea. Why hasn't someone done that before? And so I was desperately keen to see the first iteration of this same premise. And it was just a casual Saturday afternoon, nothing special. But I was keen to see it, and I do like Morgan Freeman. And I was keen to see that this film, which seemed like the lower profile of the two, more lower profile than White House Down, how it would get to the punch first and if it would actually basically eat the lunch before White House Down would open later on. But other than that, it was a regular multiplex experience. It is insane that no one had made this movie before. And like I went online looking for like maybe Jeff Wincott or Lorenzo Lamas had made some terrible 1980s kickboxer whales on terrorists in the White House. And it's just how had this movie not been done pre-2013? The White House has been there for, for many years. It seems like the most obvious premise. That's right. Yeah, it's crazy. Which brings us to uh, later on the 28th of June 2013, White House Down was released, and here's the IMDb synopsis. While on a tour of the White House with his young daughter, a Capitol policeman springs into action to save his child and protect the president from a heavily armed group of paramilitary invaders. So, Gabe, same question. Talk me through when and how you first watched White House Down. This one I did see at the movies. And really, without getting ahead of myself, I would have been fine to have never seen it again if not for this podcast. I will say, I guess, rather mercifully, it mostly disappeared from memory, not moments after I saw it, and not because I was not drunk like with Olympus Has Fallen, just because, yeah, I don't know. This did not leave an indelible feeling on me, the likes of which I would remember forever, I'm afraid. I hear your sentiments, ditto, 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 and ditto. I saw it at the cinema. I saw it sober. It didn't leave an impression, and I could have quite easily not rewatched it had it not been for this podcast episode. It wasn't just a case, which we'll get to in the review, that the premise had been spoilt beforehand by Olympus Has Fallen. I just wasn't very impressed watching the film at the time, which we'll get to. Yeah, so yeah, before I mean, if, we do- if, if anything, I would have been more curious to see it anyway, because I felt like I'd- I can't remember which one I saw first, but when a thing like this happens with two movies like this, I'm always interested actually to see both. Yeah. So- we're basically yeah. completist. We want to actually yeah, that's right. put the whole thing together and see how they stand up against each other and wonder why the hell did one film race ahead in spite of the other? Because often these films are a race, right? It's a race against time to see who'll get out first. And, and stop be terrorists. Pr- <laughs> that's right. On, on point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's jump into a quick little history lesson before the review. Maybe a comparison of these twin movies and find out how we got here with a shallow dive into the Hollywood history behind them. So, Olympus Has Fallen is based on a script by Crichton Rothenberger and Catherine Benedict in their first screenwriting effort. The production company Millennium Films acquired the spec script in March 2012, and then Gerard Butler was cast late in the month as the star. Now, Sony Pictures purchased Vanderbilt, What's his name? Simon Vanderbilt? No. Jason Vanderbilt? James James Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Jason? Yeah, James Vanderbilt. He's not (laughs) Simon Kinberg. No, that's right. Sorry. I'm confusing my writer producers. Sony Pictures purchased James Vanderbilt's script, spec script, in March 2012. So, point to note, they're both spec scripts. The same month as Millennium purchased Olympus Has Fallen. 
Now, Sony paid $3 million US dollars in what The Hollywood Reporter called at the time one of the greatest or biggest spec sales in quite a while. <laughs> in quite a while. That's right. At the time, the reporter said the script was similarly, tonally and thematically to the films Die Hard and Air Force One. So let's start with the review of Olympus Has Fallen. Did you like it? What worked for you about this film? What didn't float your boat? And maybe we should actually start off with that key reference to Die Hard and Air Force One. Well, they both obviously owe a lot to Die Hard. Although, I mean, as I say that out loud, like the movie's set in a contained space, but beyond that, like Channing Tatum wears a singlet, how much do they owe to Die Hard? Are we going to say all movies? Like, this is a Die Hard owed? Let's look at it through the lens exclusively for the meantime of Olympus Has Fallen. But I think when people reference Die Hard, Tell me if you agree with this. It's basically set in a single location. Tick? Yes. It involves one hero, usually a man, up against many. Tick? Sure, sure. In the Die Hard example, he's up against a group of terrorists, but it could be up against a group of baddies of some sort, and he has to save the day against impossible odds by progressively taking them down one by one, using Home Alone-style innovation with what's around him to bring everyone down. I mean, that's kind of the basic concept, right? And it basically has comedic elements if you look at Die Hard exclusively. True. But I guess what these have that Die Hard doesn't, for better or worse, is, you know, these lay on top of it all of this extra presidential shit. Yeah, and that's the Air Force John McClane's not out there saving the president. He's just trying to save Holly. Well, you could say there that the stakes are actually higher in Olympus Has Fallen, White House Down, than Die Hard, right? Because this is the, quote, leader of the free world, unquote. This is the president, not just his wife, Holly, like in Die Hard. So you could actually argue, this is at the pitch stage before they actually make the film, that this pitch, which is basically Die Hard meets Air Force One, is all the tension and excitement of Die Hard with the highest stakes of Air Force One having to save the American president in an iconic building which is kind of mysterious in that most people don't actually know what the White House looks beyond what they see on perhaps the West Wing or on the news when the president speaks behind his table and perhaps potentially unveils the mystery as to the various security elements of the White House, which is, again, something you don't see in Die Hard. Is that a fair kind of summary of the differences or stakes? Sure, sure. But then why are neither of these movies as good as Under Siege? <laughs> Let's circle back to Under Siege because I want to talk about later on other films that use the diehard premise for sure. better and worse. Okay. So let's start with the review of Olympus Has Fallen. Did you like it? What worked and what didn't? I like this movie a lot. Like I said before, I find it very rewatchable. I mean, it's a certain type of movie. I don't know. How would you describe it? Is that very kind of like dumb, gung ho, go fuck yourself, America, fuck yeah? I'm going to stab you in the head and use kind of, I'm going to torture some guys and just smash it up to save the president, square jaw, good times. And it all kind of comes together and I kind of like it, even if I don't kind of agree with it. Look, this is like a Republican movie, right? Isn't it? Sure. It is, right? Yeah, totally. This to me is a very right-wing film in relation to its politics about violence. So we should talk about actually, let's start with- One of the key features of this film, which also is a key distinction with White House Down, is its depiction of violence. Yeah, yeah. 
just before we do, is White House down the Democrat version? <laughs> I mean, maybe it is, you know? I mean, it's maybe a, it is. I guess you are. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to look of the films. I mean, in some ways, Olympus Has Fallen to me is a serious version of, is it Trey Parker and what's his name? Oh, Team America. Team America, right? Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Like, Team America is a parody of the, go America, yeah, and- this whole idea of international superstar heroes that where violence is the only means to solve the problem. You know the expression from Point Break, young, dumb and full of cum. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. And but it's not even violence is the only means. It's like excessive violence and not only excessive violence but a complete disregard for Mike Banning. Fuck yeah, Mike Banning. He, he kills prisoners. He's incredibly dismissive of... What does he say? The Democratic People's Republic of go fuck yourself or something? A fuck knows where? <laughs> like totally dismissive of other. It's it's a whole thing. I don't know. It's hard to quantify, but it's there. It's just there. Well, I think one of the key features is, let's start with his name, Mike Banning. Like it's an right. ultra masculine name, right? Banning, it just sort of conjures up images of a archetypal, ultra heterosexual, masculine character. It's very American. It's very Anglo, very white. It's very heroic sounding. It just sounds punchy. Which in comparison to White House Down, where the character's name is Kale, the Democratic <laughs> version, which is a is, is cabbage. It's know? a green superfood applied yeah, right. uh, by many vegetarians in their smoothies. Yeah, there you go. But, <laughs> oh, okay, really... so Mike Banning. So Mike Banning. Mike Banning. So well, let's talk about the violence because this film is one of the few in America it's called an R-rated film. In Australia, it's an MA-15 film, similar in the UK and New Zealand. But this is one of the key aspects of Hollywood filmmaking in the last 10 years. So let's just sort of like set the table for this. Ever since Iron Man... 11 years ago in 2008, there's been, and there was this case 10 years beforehand, but it's now became pretty much the norm that to make a successful four-quadrant Hollywood film, and four-quadrants means it plays to everyone, like boys, girls, children, adults, etc. To play to the widest possible audience, which is how Marvel movies work, you cannot have certain elements. You cannot have depictions of nudity, or sex, you can only have one usage of the F-bomb to get what's called the PG-13 rating, or in Australia, the M rating, the M classification. You can say shit, that's okay, but not too many times. You can't show a bum, a buttocks, but you can have violence, but the violence can't depict what we'd call a bullet, blood burst, or blood spray. So it's basically bloodless violence. An example of a film that is impactful and pushes the envelope within the PG-13 classification, the PG-13 rating, is The Dark Knight, right? The Dark Knight is kind of like a grounded superhero film, but has scenes where the Joker kills a guy by smashing his head down on a pencil, where the pencil implicitly, off screen, goes through his eyeball into his brain and kills him. There are scenes where he's bashing people up, but it's bloodless, same with the James Bond film, same with Avengers Infinity War. Barely any blood. The most you might see is a tiny drop of blood on their lip from a punch or something like that. But, Gabe, in this film, there is blood and there are buckets of blood. Well, a lot of people get stabbed in the head or just stabbed in general. Just so that's a good example, right? Like, stab, stab. They could just have, say, shooting where you have like a blood bullet burst and have blood spray 
coming, bursting out from their chest to bursting on the other side. But they fully commit beyond that to a lot of head stabbing. And it's <laughs> well, pretty violent, right? Like when you get some, see someone stabbed in the head, in the top of the head, in the forehead or through the eyeball, to me that's much more impactful and shocking than someone being shot in the chest. Oh, yeah. Mike Banning will stab you through the jaw into the brain. He'll stab you from the top of the head into the brain. He'll stab you from the side of the head into your brain. Mike Banning will stab you in the brain. I've got to say, I do kind of, in some ways, I'm not someone who likes violent films. Like, I actually am repulsed by many horror films which feel like torture porn, right, in terms of having gratuitous, exploitative depictions of violence. But this film here, if you try and do a grounded story about an invasion to the White House to kidnap the US president, I actually think the way that it's done in Olympus Has Fallen by having much more visceral, naturalistic depictions of violence is actually kind of fair and close to the point. And if you're going to actually have the stakes of Die Hard meets the high stakes of Air Force One with the US president as the target, I kind of feel that the violence they go for with the R rating in Olympus Has Fallen is pretty appropriate. Yeah, although it's interesting that you think it's appropriate because it's a realistic depiction or grounded or natural. Because I like the violence in this because I think this movie is stupid. And the violence adds to the sort of fun of the thing. That is basically like a horror kind of, film. Yeah, exactly. This is basically kind of an exploitation. This is kind of an action exploitation movie, you know. It's got a kind of high concept premise. But then you're kind of just watching as Gerard Butler just tears his way through the North Korean villains and also Dylan McDermott. And to me, the, the violence just makes it more enjoyable. I don't look at it, oh, that seems like the, it's necessary because that's the realistic depiction. Like you might get like, oh, it's important in a war film to realistically depict violence because any of that sort of thing. So it's interesting that we both like the violence in this, but maybe come at it from <laughs> diametrically opposed angles. Yeah, totally. Also, I would add to this is that I feel like by having violence like this, it makes it more of an adult film or more of a mature film. And I'm so over these bloodless, sanitised depictions of violence or these sexless superhero Marvel DC films. Ah, totally. It's, like, refreshing. Like, I saw this film six years ago and enjoyed it, but watching it now, same with watching The Equaliser recently or John Wick, it's like, oh, finally, a film that is comparatively more for mature audiences that isn't so moralistic that we can't see any blood. I mean, to me, these films actually are less moralistic because they actually show the consequences of violence. Some of those superhero films basically have all these massive fights for the fate of humankind on an intergalactic scale, and they barely show a drop of blood. I mean, it's kind of silly in some ways, and I feel like an infant watching it. You know, like it's sanitised. You're right, because like at least Olympus has fallen for better or worse, is kind of confident about what it is. And that's something I kind of like about the movie. It is very confident. I agree. Yeah. It's unashamed to be kind of like like we joked earlier about it being kind of basically a Republican movie. And to be honest, the sequel really fucking doubles down on that with it sort of like go back to fuck Hedistan and all of this shit. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. they really figured out what they wanted this movie to be. Kind of repellent. But compared to, you know, White House Down, where, like you say with the violence, at the end of White House Down, Channing Tatum shoots James Woods with a fucking Gatling gun or something, which should, for all intents and purposes, be played like a Paul Verhoeven movie. James Woods should turn into goo, like bloody goo, but instead he just kind of flops over. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a guy shoot a guy with a Gatling gun and not go fucking full Ed 209. (laughs) Before we get to White House Down... 
Tell me, what then didn't work about Olympus Has Fallen? If you feel it's confident, it commits, and I agree with you 100%, and knows exactly what it is, it's sort of like a confident, masculine film with strong depictions of violence, with this ultra sort of almost 80s-style hero. What didn't work? This is so embarrassing to say because I like very intricate plot movies and stuff. I actually find the plot in this hard to follow. Like the bad guys are trying to make the guys give up some codes or something and then they have like a Cerberus or a Hydra or something. And like I just sort of sometimes think this movie would be better if you just make it like the raid and just have Mike Banning killing shit. All of that, you know, all that going back to the comms room with Robert Forster and they're talking. I don't know. I kind of glaze over for a lot of that stuff. Maybe that stuff doesn't play for me. Yeah, I agree. Like to me there's a few plot holes there. So for extra clarity, it appears that they're – the thing that they make up is called, is it Cerberus? Is Cerberus, the, so this is really, because they both, this movie and White House Down, have the same basic MacGuffin, right? They're trying to get the codes to start like the big missile defense system or something, right? Yeah, and I think in Olympus Has Fallen, the code works that three people must enter their code for the whole thing to come together like the Holy Trinity to launch it. Yeah, So right. one of the huge logic gaps in the film for Olympus Has Fallen, and- I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're right in saying that even though it's a dumb action film, it has some aspects that are unnecessarily complicated. And one of those is Cerberus, where in the story, the terrorists basically threaten to torture or kill three of the code holders, which I think is the Secretary of Defense played by Melissa Leo, the president, and then I think is it Robert Foster? No, it's someone else. It's a general or someone like that who's already in there, right? Phil Austin or something. Vice President Charlie Rodriguez. Yeah. And there's this bit where basically that particular guy, they are about to kill. And then somewhat heroically, I think, like it's kind of unclear, but somewhat heroically, the president played by Aaron Eckhart says, don't worry, don't give him your code. He'll never get my code. So basically what he's doing is saying- don't shoot him. Uh, sorry, give up your code. And same with Melissa Leo, but they'll never get the third code from me. Yeah, because he orders make- Melissa Leo to give him the code, to yeah. give Rick Yoon the bag that of can. That makes no sense because let's say, okay, so Melissa Leo and the third person holding the codes gives the terrorists the codes. If Aaron Eckhart holds out with his code despite being tortured, if they just threaten to shoot Melissa Leo or the third code holder just like they did beforehand – then isn't Aaron Eckhart just going to then eventually cave? He saved them once before. Why would he not save them again? It doesn't make sense. Well, surely the moral thing for Melissa Leo's character to do is actually to allow herself to be killed, thereby completely thwarting the terrorist plan. They will never get her code. She should, or the vice president probably, he seems like a schmuck, he should shoot himself in the head. Terrorist spoiled, one death. That's right. But then as it turns out, they end up not needing all three codes anyway. Yeah, that's right. And I think, don't both movies basically do that cheat as well? Yeah, which ah, then comes really back to your point, which is confused, comes back to your point, is that it's not necessarily complicated or it's unnecessarily complicated and illogical because yeah. they set up the stakes that we need these three codes. And then this is this Deix Machina and they go, actually, we don't which yeah. kind of then undermines all of the preceding tension. And neither of them really make enough of that kind of moral problem. And actually, White House Down almost does this in an interesting way, but then completely runs away from it. And maybe we'll talk about that when we get to that. But they maybe don't do enough with the sort of that moral question of like, how many people will Aaron Eckhart allow to be executed in front of him before he finally gives up a 
code. You know, yeah. there's probably more you could do with that. Are these two films the perfect conduits for that classic theme that sometimes you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelette? Like, is a loss of a few worth it to save many more? Yes. And I don't think either film takes advantage of that maxim. So I should say I was about to start tearing strips off Olympus Has Fallen, but before I do, I must say, I should say a few more things I do like about this film, and that is the cast. Angela Bassett, love her, Melissa Leo, Morgan Freeman, Arat Eckhart, Rada Mitchell. I mean, there are so many names here I love in this film. I actually don't like, particularly as a lead character, Gerard Butler. I feel he's a bit like whenever they try and make a certain Australian actor a hero in a film and just doesn't work. I kind of feel the same way about Gerard Butler. I no. don't find him charismatic. Do you like him? Yeah, I love Jerry. Why? I don't know. Because he's clearly an alcoholic. <laughs> I don't know. He's got that kind of like- It's interesting that they often get non-Americans to play tough Americans. Because he has like, that kind of like- Like gruff- Colin Farrell and Mamie Vice. Yeah, I mean, totally. He has that kind of gruff swagger that I quite like. I mean, he doesn't kind of have the charisma of a, a huge jack man or something. But I like him. And I like him in movies where he just plays like- Go fuck yourself, tough guys, like that uh, modern classic Den of Thieves. So, okay, in Den of Thieves, I like him in that role there. But, for example, I would have found this film more interesting to have someone who's, I don't know, a bit more sophisticated than, like, say, for example, Hugh Jackman. What is the Hugh Jackman version of this film? Would Hugh Jackman actually improve this film instead of Gerard Butler? Well, which Hugh Jackman? Are we talking Wolverine Hugh Jackman or Kate and yeah. Leopold Hugh Jackman? <laughs> Wolverine. Okay. It's the same thing. Isn't he just kind of gruff guy? Wouldn't he just be kind of like, I mean, maybe Hugh Jackman would be better because he's a better actor and more charismatic, but he'd just be kind of like growling through the movie. Mm, go fuck yourself. That's okay. shit. Okay. Here's a good one. And we'll get to, I guess, perhaps casting a third movie. But for example, I think someone like Jason Clark would be better as Mike Banning than Gerard Butler. Oh, so you want the bad guy from White House Down to play the good guy in Olympus Has Fallen? Totally. Wow. That's I a straight thought that Jason Yeah, I thought that Jason Clark, ever since that T V series in the mid two thousands, Brotherhood, is just a fantastic actor. And rather than just playing, I guess, the dumb gruff, I think he plays a nice version of the complicated hero. There's a slight edge to him. He's not like a clean Tom Cruise like hero. There's something slightly dark about him, which would work for a guy killing people by stabbing and twisting knives in their head. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yep. What didn't work for me about Olympus Has Fallen is the terrible CGI. And I don't think it's just as a result of the fact that this was made six years ago. CGI six years ago wasn't that bad. I think it's just a case of the budget. Like, there are plenty of external shots which appear to be clearly green screen and some shots of the that huge sort of plane at the start in the cold opening at the very start of the film, actually not on the very start of the film, just after the wife's killed, that just looked really fake, which is unfortunate for me because the violence that actually happens in the hand-to-hand combat is very naturalistic and grounded. It's that CG of airborne vehicles attacking the White House, which looks a bit dubious. Yeah, when the Washington Monument falls over, it looks like... A video game from, like, the mid-90s. It looks like Command and Conquer or something, like a full-motion video cutscene from one of them with people like, ah! Or Minecraft on my son's iPad. 
You're right. I mean, there's a lot of VFX shots in this movie, and there's a few that are pretty reasonable. When the chopper, when he blows the big gun up that's attached to the top of the White House and the chopper comes flying towards him, that's all right. But then immediately after that, you're right, they'll have a terrible one of the rotor blade kind of coming towards him or whatever. I mean, even the cars in the opening sequence are all CG and look like a video game. You mean in the cold opening and featuring the wife? Yeah, yeah, in that sequence. Yeah. By the way, we should give it a credit to opening sequence. So in Hollywood screenwriting terms, a cold opening is when you have an action scene that starts the film that basically sets the stakes for what's to come and is almost a teaser for the film. And it's usually, it's called cold because you kind of like dropped into it and then you have to catch up to what's going on. And James Bond films almost always feature a cold opening. It's basically an introductory scene where James Bond is 25% into his mission and you catch up to what he's doing, and then you take your breath, the credits roll, and then the film starts as to what's about to happen. This doesn't quite have a cold opening. There's a bit of talking and so on uh, between Eric Eckhart, who plays the president, and uh, what's the name of his wife, the first lady? Who? Ashley Judd's character. Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd, yeah. And then the accident happens where she dies. Spoiler alert. I quite like all that scene. Like, it sets the tone. You get to know the kid, plants ideas about, Mike Banning having the kid under his wing and showing him around and teaching him various survival skills, which come into action later on. I think it's actually a really effective example of good early characterization and screenwriting in a very contained space. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great little opening. Nicely sets up Mike Banning and President Ash's kind of relationship as being more than just work colleagues. <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of and like uh, work colleagues slash buddies, aren't they? Like, yeah, yeah, they box there's, there's together. Trust. Yeah, they laugh. It's like a very non-hierarchical relationship. There's a little bit um, of jealousy, maybe, from Dylan McDermott's character. Oh, why can't I be President Benjamin Ash's best pal? I'm going to betray him later. Yeah, it's one of those classic things, isn't it? Like, it always feels like it's like a homoerotic thing when they kind of like have male jealousy. Like, oh, you're friends with that man. I want to be friends with that man. Like, it's just like a silly kind of. Thing, but it comes across as kind of quite jealous and immature as a character, doesn't it? The psychosexual undertones of Olympus Has Fallen are sadly neglected in critical analysis of this movie. Maybe we should leave them for professionals. but uh, Maybe we should leave those for people like Quentin Tarantino to do a sure. Top Gun-esque analysis. Sure. sure, totally. But no, you're right. This is a, It's a really great opening scene that sets the table for what comes. And, you know, Ashley Judd's good in a short, I guess, mostly thankless role. She turns up, says a few lines, gets knocked unconscious and falls off a cliff. Yeah, total stunt casting, which I really liked, actually. Like, so few films do that these days where they take a lead star and kill them off early. Uh, thinking of, was that film which had your mate from Under Siege? Drew Barrymore in Scream, what? For example, perfect example. Or what's that film? Oh, which Executive has Decision. Executive Decision with- Yeah, he gets killed off like Curtis. halfway through, though. That's oh, halfway through. Okay. Stephen Segal, okay. yeah. Yeah. How about the other guys with The Rock and Samuel Jackson? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So that's stunt casting. They die in the first scene, I think, don't they? Yeah, they jump off that building and then the movie fairly downhill from there. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Any last words before we move on to White House Down? No, let's talk about this motherfucker. All right. White House Down. Talk me through it. Love it. Hate it. Speak to me. I don't hate it. I guess I'm White House Down agnostic. I think what's interesting about this movie is that you know, we talked about Olympus has fallen being kind of confident in its tone. White House Down for me kind of isn't. Like, how hard a comedy does it want to go? Like, it opens with Channing Tatum arguing with a fucking squirrel. Is he playing a complete moron? It's unclear. 
But then, like, I totally thought, it's like, he's like, hey, Mr. Squirrel, you're not allowed here. If the boss sees you here, we're going to be in big trouble. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's not a comedy like 21 Jump Street is a comedy, which is a really great comedy, which uses Tanning Tatum, who's really good at comedy, really well. It's not enough of a comedy to be like a comedy. And you got Jamie Foxx in there. That guy can do comedy, surely. It's not a hard enough action movie to be a really great action movie. Like, it's bloodless and it doesn't lay on the kind of moral quandaries hard enough to be like a real thinking person's movie. I don't know. I, it just sort of kind of just sort of hangs there a little bit. I totally hear you about the film not being confident in what it is. And it feels like a mixed bag. Like, I agree. When the screenwriter sat down and said, let's open up with our protagonist, who will be featured in a diehard-inspired, battered white singlet as a tribute, arguing with a frickin' squirrel, it's goofy. And I think it's meant to encourage the audience to empathise with him, but it just kind of reads as silly. And if you think about a thousand and one different ways to introduce your protagonist, your hero, in this type of diehard meets Air Force down premise, talking to a squirrel, I wouldn't put at the top of the list. No, totally. I mean, he's, what's his job? He's like a capital city policeman or something. I thought he was know, being like basically uh, protection, like the protection detail. No, no that's or- the job he wants. He wants to join the Secret Service, but I think he's just some sort of cop. And his daughter doesn't can't stand him or whatever and calls him by his first name. Frankly, if his daughter really wanted to hack shit on him, she could call him by his second name, Kale. Fuck. <laughs> You know, in IMDb, he actually doesn't have a surname at all. It's just Kale. No, that is his surname. He doesn't have a first name. Really? His name's John Kale. John Kale, that's right. Okay. So, here's an Not example. Kale Kale. Or- this film is so little respected, or this film has so little interest in the interwebs that on IMDb, where ordinarily people include various details about all sorts of gaffes, trivia, and so on, it actually just has Kale, whereas every other film would have his full name, like John Kale. So that's interesting. Not many people who contribute to imdb.com are invested enough in the Channing Tatum character who plays the hero in White House Town. Yeah. And I mean, you know, stuff like that stupid White House guide character, who I guess you're kind of warm to in the end when he blasts someone, the dude from. Oh, Dust Donnie Spider the Guide. Club. I love Donnie. Yeah, yeah. You oh, know, we'll get back it- to Donnie. He's a big comedic character, but I don't know. It's just that thing was like, look, the movie The Rock, which is a great action movie set on one location, even though obviously it takes 45 minutes to get to that location, whatever, it has jokes and stuff in it, but it's still very confident in its tone. Yeah. You and I are huge fans of The Rock and films of the same era like Con Air and what's the third film in the trilogy, Armageddon? Oh, Face Off. Face Off? It's like four films in that window of time that know exactly what they are they have a lot of practical effects, little CG. They blend comedy with action that actually has stakes and they're shot, directed and acted incredibly well for what they are. And it's interesting talking about The Rock and talking about this because James Wood's character, they basically lift Ed Harris's character's motivation from The Rock and give that 100%. to James Woods. 100%. Don't you think? Talk to that. Yeah. yeah, talk to that. In The Rock, right, that opens with Ed Harris talking to, his, to the grave of his wife. Or his son, his wife. Maybe his, his wife. wife and his son. They're both buried in there. Who knows? And he's saying, I'm going to go do a thing and I'm going to do a bad thing, but this thing that I'm going to do needs to be done because that's the way justice is going to be served. Yeah. So you're like, he's oh. basically seeking – it's like an apology and also seeking permission before he embarks on it. It makes him 
Ed Harris's character in The Rock kind of morally grey. He has a good motive. I think in The Rock, what does he want? He wants money paid to the families of dead soldiers whom the government has disavowed. Yeah. yeah, Is that that classic case of... It's classic case of in a movie where a villain in his world thinks he's the hero in his own movie. Yeah. Basically, he thinks what he's doing is the right thing, but he's going about it in the wrong way. Yeah. And in The Rock, it's actually fairly well done because it turns out he he sort of becomes a kind of tragic villain. He's killed by his own guys and he regrets what he does and he can't follow through. And they kind of actually play some of those ideas as best as they can, kind of to their end points. This has, what, James Woods, his son has been killed in Afghanistan and he wants to end the Afghanistan war? Yeah, that's right. He wants his son to have been the last man to have died in Afghanistan. So he is now going to join forces with some mercenaries who have also been disavowed by the government to fuck up the White House or whatever. So Yeah, exa- yeah they exactly. They sort of entirely lift that idea. Though, what do they do? They also then give James Woods a brain tumour. So is that's that right? the absolute cop-out in the film. So first of all, they have a less convincing motivation for him than Ed Harris has in The Rock. So Ed Harris's motivation, if you boil it down, is basically you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelette. You've got to sometimes make tough decisions to get to the right end. So the means justify the ends is more or less where Ed Harris lands as a character and his motivations thematically. James Woods, as you just described, is similar. But then, what, three quarters through the film, there's this hard left where basically they reveal he has a brain tumour and if not for the brain tumour, he wouldn't be doing this, which basically then undermines any remote moral complexity this character has. Like, up until then, you're thinking, okay, I feel empathy for you. Your son's died. Maybe this isn't the right way to try and remedy that situation. But he's not doing it for, like, power, right? He's not doing it because he's a sociopath for joy or to gain power. He's doing it basically, I guess he would say in his eyes, for justice. And from the perspective of our heroes, it's like revenge. And that's always a good thing when you have two alternative conflicting perspectives on the same situation and you as the audience can identify with both of them. But to then basically rip the mat beneath his feet and undermine that motivation by saying, oh, actually, he's got a brain cancer which affects his brain, his decisions, and therefore he's off the hook. Just to me is such a cop-out and removes what remote, what tiny portion of moral complexity that particular antagonist had. Totally. But also in The Rock, Ed Harris goes to lengths to ensure that civilians aren't killed. You know, when they heist the green goo explosives at the beginning, what is that shit called? Whatever it's fucking called. One of his men is accidentally killed and he feels real sorrow for this, but they also incapacitate the guards there. They don't kill them. In both of these movies, they just massacre everybody. So- for all of James Woods' good intentions, he's just out there murdering people. Totally. So even though he's like, let's end the war in Afghanistan, poor whomever who he just shot in the head, that's just a bloke doing his job. What's that dude's father going to do? He's going to go kill James Woods. Exactly. They sort of lifted the idea, but then didn't follow through on the actual sureness of the execution or something. 100%. Um, 100%. And it's interesting. One of the few bits that I actually like, though, is around the James Woods bit, which is someone, maybe Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, arranges for James Woods' wife to come in. And she's like, oh, clearly his wife will be able to talk him down. 
And she comes in and she's like, why are you doing this, James Woods? And he explains to her why he's doing it. And then she basically turns around and goes like, yeah, give him hell. Go fuck yourself, American government. I thought that, that was, was actually a surprise. I actually quite like that where you expect her to basically side with everyone else in the White House and think that James Woods off his rocker. But when you see the wife actually demonstrate the same sort of sense of bias and selfishness and revenge as James Woods, I thought, well, okay, that was actually a surprise. I didn't see that coming, totally. and I like that. Totally. It's definitely one of the few things in the film where you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. Because let's face it, you're watching this movie, they're not going to kill the president. They're not going to kill Channing Tatum's daughter. They're not going to kill Channing Tatum. Maggie Gyllenhaal and Richard Jenkins are in a room over there, safe. They're not going to kill them. There's very little that you can really think of that's going to be like, well, how is this going to turn out in a way that I don't expect? Yeah, totally. So then I guess the question is, what does this film do better, given how much it doesn't do well? Does this film do anything better than Olympus Has Fallen? If you're a sneakers guy, is the president owns some sneakers. Oh, the scene where the president grabs a pair of cleverly branded Nike shiny sneakers that look like they haven't been worn once and runs around in a suit and sneakers just gave me the absolute shits. The humour in this film by Jamie Foxx with such sneaker jokes just was the definition of purgatory for me. <laughs> I don't know. The jokes in this movie don't quite work. Or they don't land. It's not enough of a comedy. And maybe that's because Roland Emmerich is just not a comedy guy. Yeah, like, well, that's a good point. I mean, I you mean, know, Roland Emmerich, we should clarify for the listeners, is the guy behind Independence Day back in the day. That was his first big breakout, followed by films like Godzilla. 2012. He's the guy who's known for disaster porn, basically. Like, he's the guy that actually blew up the White House on screen iconically in Independence Day and then has been the guy behind all these classic disaster films ever since. And they actually even reference a gag, like a reference to Independence Day when Donnie the Guide makes that joke about Independence Day in the film. So, yeah. You know, so I mean, clever. apart from maybe one or two jokes in Independence Day that, that work. Roland Emmerich's CV, all of the jokes he's put in movies like 2012 and stuff are all pretty terrible. They're all groaners. Like, oh, that's a pretty weak joke there, mate. I don't uh, get the feeling that he basically lets the talent on screen try and find a bit of comedy or rapport by ad-libbing or anything to try and elevate poor jokes on the page in any capacity. And we know Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx can be funny because they've been fucking funny yeah, in totally. much funnier movies. So it's not like, well, the fault is here because you cast these guys. It's like, no, you should have either tried to make it more funny or less funny. Actually, just while we're on this and just looping back to something, the one scene that I do like in this or I thought was kind of interesting is towards the end there's a scene with James Woods sort of mentioned this earlier when we were talking, where he needs the code from the president and he has a gun to Joey King, who plays Channing Tatum's daughter. Her character's name is like Emily, I think. So James Woods has a gun to Emily's head and he says to President Jamie Foxx, tell me what the code is or I'm going to shoot her in the head. And they sort of stand off for a little while and then Jamie Foxx finally looks at the little girl and is like, I can't give him the code. And it's like, oh, fuck, this is ballsy. This movie is finally like, where are they going to go with this? Jamie Foxx has made the tough decision to sacrifice the life of young Joey King. Will James Woods pull the trigger? Oh, the tension is becoming unbearable. And then an explosion happens off screen that takes all of their attention away from the scene and the scene limply ends. Yeah, 100%. Like, like basically, you, 
you finally have the kahunas to take a risk with the screenplay and actually play against audience expectation and have the President of the United States on screen make that hard decision. It's basically the, the same thing we discussed before, which is sometimes the means justify the ends and you've got to sacrifice a few to save many and then totally cops out. Look, clearly you can't have a 12-year-old girl get shot in the head by James Woods in a PG-13 action movie. But then don't set it up. Exactly. And then just basically don't pay it off. Like It feels like such a cop-out when that happens. It's like, oh, you finally created an actual piece of drama which has like bad consequences either way. Like It's a great lose-lose conundrum for Jamie Foxx, this character. And you just do that limp fucking, oh, an explosion rocks the room off screen and everyone falls over. Yeah, when they say that screenwriters should write themselves into a corner to then try and find a creative way out, what that doesn't mean is having some sort of cop-out like that explosion, which doesn't actually resolve the tension you set up, the moral conundrum you established. So i got to say, there is one aspect. Actually, before I get to the one good bit, I want to have one more rant about <laughs> one more thing about White House right. Down. The freaking scene where- so. Let me step this back. The film doesn't work logically in that you want to go forward in the journey of the characters. And so what that means is essentially Channing Tatum should have to try and rescue Jamie Foxx and get him out. That's like the logical physical journey, right? Get him out of the space, away from the danger. So beyond the White House, beyond the grounds where you know he'll be protected. So they finally break out of the actual White House in the limousine, whatever they call it, the beast, I think they call it. It's that bulletproof limousine that they drive the president around in. And they engage in bizarre circle work, like doing skidding around the greenhouse lawns with the media filming in a really kind of corny, schlocky way. And then there's that goofy bit where Jamie Foxx finds a rocket launcher Tucked off where you'd normally sort of store like the, what do you call the part that drops down in between okay. the seats? No, <laughs> all that. Oh. And pulls out a rocket launcher and then is trying to fire a rocket launcher over the shoulder of Channing Tatum. It's just silly. It's just I like stupid. how there's a big crowd of like people just watching this action, like kind of mouths agape and eyes agog, just staring. Yeah. Through the they, fence. Surely they're going to cop some, like, stray bullets. Yeah, I know, totally. Like, they actually have a rocket launcher and they're firing machine guns. And these people are just watching like they're at the zoo. Yay, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and the lawn isn't that big and they're driving <laughs> pretty close to the fence. So that's silly. And there's that part when then the at the end the beast of the car flies through the air with terrible CG, exemplified by the fact that the camera is in a virtual space which wouldn't be practically possible as it lands into the pool and then or a pond and they escape. It's just silly. But what I will get to is a good feature of White House Down that I prefer over Olympus Has Fallen is the choice of the cultural heritage or the ethnicity of the villains. So you like that in White House Down they are, are – they, they're not white supremacists, are they? No, no, they're just white they're kind, mercenaries. Well, I think it's almost implied they're white supremacists, well, but no, they're no. basically like – what I call Midwest, uh, Midwest. Kevin Rankin can't play or? anything but a white supremacist. He's the guy from That's right. Justified. Yeah, I mean, look, for lack of a better term, they appear to be one of those villains you'd see in Justified. Like, Wait, that no, seems he's in not Justified. Character. He's in um, not Justified. He's in um, 
He's devil and justified. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically playing the same types of character in all these films. And he and Jason Clarke, I think the casting of them as American homegrown white villains is more interesting than the casting of token Asian, in this case, North Korean villains in Olympus Has Fallen. I think it makes the characters more interesting. I think it makes the politics of the film more interesting. And White House Down doesn't have many checks or ticks to its column in comparison to Olympus Has Fallen. But credit where credit is due, I think that's actually more interesting as a choice of baddie. Yeah, so it feels like they probably just basically went down a long list of what are countries that we could conceivably make the bad guys in this and maybe just ended up with North Koreans because, I mean, who's going to be shitty at you for that? Just North Koreans. I agree. It feels kind of lazy. sort of feels like a throwback to those kind of 80s and 90s movies where the villains were just kind of like hordes of faceless, personality-less brown people or whatever. And to be honest, in Olympus Has Fallen, they give the villains zero personality. Not even Rick Yuna, who's a, Rick Yoon, who's a good actor, gets to give Kang the bad guy, much. And he certainly has no henchmen that are memorable whatsoever. Exactly. I feel like basically just sort of like, use, as you said, the ethnicity and their cultural background as it relates to international politics, geopolitics, as a shorthand to characterise them rather than perhaps adding character attributes and so on that makes them more three-dimensional. And I wouldn't call the villains, the baddies in White House Down fully fleshed-out characters but they certainly are more than the cookie-cutter North Korean baddies in Olympus Has Fallen. Oh, yeah. Devil from Justified was there. And that guy from – he's got one eye and always sunny in Philadelphia. And he was in that show at the Robot Cowboys. You know the guy. He plays the yeah. computer hacker guy. You know yeah, that guy. Tyler. It's like, oh, Tyler. he's got a little bit of personality because he's like a, a hacker with pizzazz or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. You know? Exactly. But at least these henchmen – they're somewhat memorable. So when Doofy the guide guy, Donnie the guide or whatever, shoots Devil from Justified, at least you're like, oh, there's two characters whose faces I remember. Yeah, exactly. I do think they do a better job of establishing a few small characters more efficiently as being more grounded and believable than some of the, I guess they're more like archetypes in Olympus Has Fallen. Anywho, maybe we should move on, mate. I thought before we uh, jump to our awards, I'd give you some trivia. Okay. So, get this. Tell me if this is coincidence or ripoff. There's a book by the author Vince Flynn called Transfer of Power from 1999 that was the basis for both movie plots, White House Down, Lips Has Fallen. And why that's interesting is because Gerard Butler was once in consideration to star as the CIA operative Mitch Rapp in a film adaptation of that particular novel. So, the question is- so, a guy wrote a book with the same premise as these two movies. Yep. That Gerard Butler was attached to star in, had they adapted it, and it wasn't made, but then these two screenwriters wrote this film separately and Gerard Butler starred in it. Yeah, right. There's got to be a messy chain of title, a messy copyright issue there, and I'm so surprised we haven't heard some sort of issue in relation to the film being sued. Maybe it was quietly and it was settled, but- I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? Maybe that's not enough. Maybe you can't copyright an idea, just the execution of an idea or whatever that copyright saying is. You know, maybe terrorists taking the White House is in of itself not enough of a a premise to- You can't entirely own that premise. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I'm no copyright lawyer. 
I'm no now, big city copyright lawyer. Now, we also mentioned before the allusions to Die Hard. So, can you name any similarities between Die Hard and either one of these films? None of the characters smoke, so not that. None of them oh, throw actually, Alan Rickman you, off you, a building. So, uh, there was a clue there with the cigarette. You were close. Really? What? Just uh, What's the cigarette? No In Olympus, there's a scene yeah. where Forbes, played by your mate Dermot, finds Mike Banning and casually smokes a cigarette before trying to kill him, which is similar to the scene in Die Hard oh, yeah. where McLean finds Hans in a storage area and has a cigarette with him as well before Hans tries to kill him. So Dylan McDermott fucks up by saying Kang and then Jared Butler's like Mike Banning's like, how do you know Kang's Kang's name? I think, like, so. I think busted. so. Even yeah. Die Hard, that's not how Alan Rickman gets uh, busted. No, I think Alan Rickman just sort of like- No, Alan Rickman has put on English accent and then just sort of like essentially just uh, surprises McLean, uh, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. McLean gives him a gun with no bullets. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, also- Another about, one What about White Singlet? Is that one? White Singlet? Yep, definitely. I think White you already singlet. mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Banning also plays a cat and mouse game with Kang in Olympus via radio. Just like McLean oh. plays a cat and mouse game with hands in Die Hard via the walkie-talkie. Oh, it's booby, sure. Yep. Booby. <laughs> Tell me, which film do you think is aged better? Oh, Olympus has fallen. And only because I can watch it more. Yeah, I agree. I think it stands up better. I think the CG in both films is terrible. Clearly shot elsewhere, like somewhere like Atlanta or in sets with green screens. Putting that aside, I feel that Olympus has fallen did the best with the shared premise, and it's just more entertaining to watch. It's got more going for it than against it. So let's jump to some quick trivia before we get to our awards. Little did you know, so the writers of Olympus are actually a married couple, Crichton Rothenberger and Katrin Benedict. How about some casting, woulda, shoulda, couldas? So these are alternative actors who may have ended up in these movies. So in Olympus... The role of the Secret Service director was originally written for a man, but the director, Antoine Fakwa, persuaded Angela Bassett to audition, and then they had to have the role rewritten for a woman. But the only reason she took the part when it was offered to her was because she'd always wanted to work besides Morgan Freeman. Another one is that Gerard Butler was once in consideration mentioned in that other adaptation. But the third one, which is funny, were known a writer pre-Stranger Things was the studio's first choice to play the First Lady in that stunt casting played by Ashley Judd. Personally, I think Ashley Judd's fantastic and did a better job or would have done a better job anyway, but that was obviously Winona before her star rose again with Stranger Things. So I think Ashley Judd comparatively is a bigger surprise. Now let's get to the next one called Spot the Aussie. So, Spot the Aussie, Gabe, in Olympus. Oh, yeah, okay, Rada Mitchell. She's Australian. Boom. And there's also one more. It's that uh, Hamish MacDonald is a real Australian news reporter who at the time was working for Channel 10, and he appears as a correspondent on screen briefly. Oh, yeah, I heard some Australian accents in the news reports at the end. Yeah, yeah. that's him. Huh. Yeah. All right. Spot your Aussie in White House Down. The bad guy, Jason Clark. He's Australian. Boom. You got it. Is there a more? Excellent. Is there another? No, that's it. That's it. All right, let's just jump to marketing methodology, madness, and missteps. So Channing Tatum actually was quoted as saying during the press tour that they deliberately chose the white singlet, which was the iconic outfit worn by John McClane, Bruce Willis, 
in Die Hard Down. So points to you, Gabe, for identifying that earlier. Now, maybe we should jump ahead, what do you reckon, to the uh, the box office? So let me test you out here. Which movie do you think was the box office champ? My guess would be White House Down made more money, but I don't know if it made more money relative to its budget. Oh, like a, you know what I mean? You're like- on the money. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. So Olympus Has Fallen was made for $70 US million. It made unbearably close to 100, but not quite, 98 million nine hundred and twenty five thousand domestically in the US plus seventy one million foreign so for a total of hundred and seventy million dollars from a seventy million budget. So the rule of thumbs of as we've discussed before in the podcast is that you ordinarily have to make three times the production budget before you first see a dollar of profit because a certain amount goes to the filmmakers, the cast, to the cinemas the distributor. So I guess you'd call that film, what do you, I mean, a middling success? <laughs> 70 million. Middling. Yeah. Now, White House Down was made for twice the budget, 150 million. And to be, I think actually it didn't look twice as good. It no, made agreed. only 73 million at the domestic box office. But with those car, with that cast, it made more at the foreign box office, 132 million. For a grand total of two hundred and five million US dollars, off a production budget of one hundred and fifty. So pleased with that, would you? No, it didn't do well at all. That it, that wasn't a positive story. <laughs> in fact, it actually came in the opening weekend. Get this: it actually came in fourth at the box office, with only twenty four point nine million. Fourth. What beat it? Not sure. But Olympus only Olympus made thirty million in comparison. And then get this. In October 2013, shortly after its release, Sony announced that White House Down lost $197 million in the June, July, and August quarter and largely blamed the box office flop of White House Down as the reason. Monsters University, The Heat, and World War Z all beat White House Down. Okay. All right, let's jump to the next uh, bout. Ding, ding, ding. Let's jump to Rotten Tomatoes. So, what's your guess for- the tomato meter score for critics and audience. Which one do you think? I'm going to guess both of these movies have kind of like sub 30, somewhere around there. Okay. Olympus Has Fallen has 49% aggregated from critics and 66% from audience. So 49 and 66 against White House Down at 52 and 62%. So basically- Back to that word middling, middling scores for both films by both audiences and critics. Interestingly, White House Down, surprisingly, which came out second at the box office in terms of the chronology of release, and to me is a far worse film, actually has a higher, not much higher, but a higher aggregated score from critics, which is bizarre. So, are you surprised? Olympus Has Fallen was made for the fans. For the fans. Ha. <laughs> so stupid. Anyway. All right. Let's jump to the awards. All right. It's time for the awards. Some places have the BAFTAs, the Oscars. What are the awards in Australia? The actors? We have the Benny and Gabes. 
So, okay. Let's go. Now, we recently introduced a few new awards. Let's start with best title. Which one do you think is the best title of these two films? Well, both of these movies are kind of dumb, so you probably just want what's on the box. So, White House Down is probably better than like what is Olympus? What is that? Is this yeah, the movie I think about Olympus Fall is terrible name. Yeah. I think it's very confusing. I agree. It sounds like a documentary about the first Olympics. Falling. So, whereas White House Down is great. It basically takes your understanding of Black Hawk Down, puts the word White House in it, boom. So, to me, I think we both agree the winner is White House Down. All right. Great. Best title name drop. So, when in a film they mention the title in dialogue in some sort of context. So, I don't think from recollection they mentioned White House Down once. Is that right? Really? What a missed opportunity. Huge. Fuck. I can't no, believe that. Every movie should have the title of the movie mentioned by, uh, won't these Star Wars ever end, Princess Leia says in the first one. This is a trek into the stars. One might say it's a Star Trek. Exactly. You've got to have it in there. So You know, if you're going to rob cars with fast cars and you've got to feel furious on the inside and perhaps your car has to be furious, you kind of have to be- I guess the fast and the furious. That's not how the titular line goes in Fast and the Furious. Oh, how does it go? Paul Walker looks at Vin Diesel and goes, I'm going to do you so fast and furious, Toretto. That's- Again, Tarantino's interpretation. Yeah, no, the they're talking about racing, dude. He's talking about racing. Not They save all that good shit until The Rock turns up. Then the sexual tension is palatable. <laughs> <laughs> then it's about expanded Woo! family. Anyway, so who says who says Olympus has fallen? It's, it's There's that a scene Cole Hauser, right? I think it is. I think it's Cole Hauser where he plays a character called Roma and he has been shot and he's crawling across the ground like with a, I think in that kind of cliched way, the terrorist is slowly advancing on him from behind, gun drawn, and he's gasping his last breaths and pleading into his lapel mic and saying, Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen, Olympus has fallen. He turns around, sees the North Korean terrorist, says fuck you and gets shot. So I guess it wins by default. I guess it does. All right. Great. (laughs) Next award, best poster. Now, our listeners can't see this, but take your mind back or jump into IMDb. But interestingly enough, I think that both these films have pretty uninspiring posters, but I think it's a case that Olympus wins by being comparatively better. White House Down has a shot of Jamie Foxx and Channing Tatum walking side by side towards camera, like kind of an echo of that classic shot where the heroes walk away from an explosion, a bit like a Bad Boys poster or a Bad Boys scene with Will Smith and uh, the other guy. (laughs) The other guy. (laughs) Martin Lawrence, dude. Martin Lawrence, sorry. Show the star Black Knight some respect. Of he didn't star in Nothing to Lose for you to just call him the other guy. Sorry, it was an unintentional diss. So, it's a pretty boring poster and you can't even see the White House, not even out of focus in the background. So, it's a pretty uninspiring poster. The one for Olympus Has Fallen has, I guess, the front of the building on fire with the flag kind of floating down in front and the classic big heads of the protagonists like Gerard Butler, Eric Eckhart, I think, and Morgan Freeman at the top. So... They're both uninspiring, but I'm going to hand it to Olympus. How about you? Weirdly, the Olympus Has Fallen poster has a flag on it, and it looks like the flag is on fire, which is surprising for a Republican action movie because burning the flag is the greatest crime you can commit in the eyes of a Republican. But also, 
the flag is both behind and in front of Gerard Butler, Morgan Freeman, and Aaron Eckhart's giant heads. It's a very confusing perspective. <laughs> so, do you hand it the award or not? Look, neither of these movies win the award. None of the posters of these are winning any design awards at the School of Design. No, <laughs> the School of Design. The fancy School of Design. Trade dang, Gabe Dowry. Yeah, whatever it is. All right. So it goes to the need. Olympus has fallen by a breath. Okay. Okay, fine. Bill Fleck Big Break Award, named after the American indie actors Billy Bob Thornton and Ben Affleck, who jumped from indie films into the Hollywood big time when they starred in the Michael Bay film Armageddon. So who broke into the big time in these twin movies, starting with Olympus has fallen? I can't think of anyone. You? Nah. They were all already big time or just middling time. Middle middling time. time. White House down, I guess no one. Neither of these movies is really the sort of movies that, you know, you go like, oh. I mean, was this Jason Clark's first, like, from TV, Australian TV stingers and white collar blue? Wow, there he is in Public Enemies and then something else. No, not yep. really, is there? No. He was in Zero Dark Thirty a year before this. Oh, no. Yeah. So he was already ahead of the game. I say it's a draw because there wasn't a clear winner. Okay, moving on. The Before They Were Famous Award or the Blink and You'll Miss Them. So Olympus Has Fallen. I had Cole Hauser, you mentioned before, who plays Roma. He was oh, one yeah, of the Cole boys. Rules. He's yeah, good. he was the other guy, not Matt Damon, not Ben Affleck, the other guy in Goodwill Hunting. And not Casey. Yeah, but he was also not the fourth Casey guy. Affleck. Yeah, so the fourth guy. Yeah. yeah, he's good. He's got a distinctive way of talking. Oh, he's great. He's got like yeah, a funny like, voice. Yeah, not like cast Kermit. enough films. No, he should be in more. And then for White House Down, I had Jimmy Simpson, who played the younger version of Ed Harris in the HBO series Westworld. How about you? I also had Jimmy Simpson. I don't care for the Westworld. I do, however, like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So he wins as well. So is it Cole versus Jimmy? You've got to choose one. Okay, I'm going to go with Cole Hauser. All right. I'll go with Jimmy Simpson. Okay, Great. that's it's a draw. A draw. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Draw. The Tommy Lee Jones Steeler Award, named after the iconic performance by Tommy Lee Jones in a supporting role in The Fugitive. Who stole the show despite being in a small or poorly written role? Starting with Olympus Has Fallen. No one in that, surely. No one stole shit in that, did they? I'm giving it to Angela Bassett, who played Secret oh, Service yeah, director okay. Liv yeah, Jacobs. Yeah, Angela, Angela Bassett. Tiny role. She's better than the role. She's totally. better than this role. And for White I House Down, paid, I had- hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. And for White House Down, I had Nicholas Wright, who played Donnie the Guide. He was transformative. <laughs> so, okay. I guess it's Angela sort versus of memorable. Donnie. You, Angela? I don't care. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Just so long as James Woods isn't getting any awards, because that guy's a shit. Oh, oh, no. We'll get to him. All right. Oh, okay. Great. All right. Now, the most recently renamed award- the Dustin Diamond Award. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of a new person who ruined their career or disappeared after stabbing someone. You can next time. All right. All right. Named in honour of the actor who didn't kick on with a big career, who didn't, after finding fame in the 1980s TV series Saved by the Bell. <laughs> okay. Right, right. So, who didn't make the most of their opportunity after appearing in one of these films? Starting well, with the Is this where fallen. we say James Woods? Was this James Woods's last big- no, Show. this is more like you get an opportunity and you don't kick on. So, for James example- James had lots of opportunities and now he doesn't <laughs> kick on. No. He had opportunities since 1980, bloody 
1972. It was his own worst enemy. I would suggest that he's particularly active thumbs on Twitter with provocative and controversial and inflammatory comments are probably the cause for his career lull and not White House down. I mean, while we're here and talking about him, is there another actor who was sort of like so awesome in movies, but then it turned out he was such a fuckwit? Can you uh, think Bill of Cosby? Oh, yeah, okay. Actually, yeah, you're probably right. Robert Blake also did did a murder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. okay. yeah, okay. So there's probably actually been a whole. Hey, allegedly, dude. Allegedly, he was found not guilty. Oh, yeah, you're probably by, right. By it, it turns out, it turns out there's a whole bunch of people who, in fact, to be fair, in fact, if he worse stuff in, than James Woods. If you type in hashtag Me Too. You'll yeah. find out. Oh, yeah, true. Of people. true. Yeah. So James Woods is a mammoth, loudmouth, asshole, shit kicking fuckwit. But at least he didn't do a murder. That's right. Yeah. It's a low bar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. Hang on. Before you move on, oh, I had uh, Finley Jacobson who played Connor, who's the son of the president, the son of Erid, Aaron, Erid, Eric, Eric? Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart in Olympus. He hasn't acted in anything since that role. He probably doesn't want to, can't top it. Maybe he was scarred by the depictions of like knives being stabbed oh, twisted into heads. <laughs> probably. He's still, he's got PTSD. I'm giving it to Finley. Give it to Finboard or whatever his name is. All right. Finley's the lucky recipient of the Dustin Diamond Award. Okay. Straight to the pool room. It still should have gone to James Woods, but fine. We'll get there. All right. The winner, winner, chicken dinner award. Who came out on top in each of these movies? So it could be a lead actor, supporting actor, director, producer, and was this their career high if they came out on top? So for Olympus Has Fallen, I had Gerard Butler because he pretty much got a franchise out of this with two sequels, uh, the latest one, Angel Has Fallen, opening in 2019. But the writers got their big break. So I'm thinking I'm leaning towards the writers. How about you? Okay, yeah. I mean, Jerry had already done 300, and I bet he's kicking himself that King Leonidas had to die at the end of that, and that couldn't also be a franchise. <laughs> I think you're right. So, yeah, I think the writers, they got, you know, if this was a board on spec, their first thing, yeah, good good for them. That's pretty weird. How about White House Down? I had Channing Tatum. Yeah, what? Channing Tatum never topped this. No, no, did have the top, but who came out on top in these movies? Like, now, was no. it a career high? I would say not. I would say, I think Channing Tatum's... Uh, I guess Big Break was probably either 21 Jump Street or before that, Dude, I'd say. The, Jump the Street, Magic movie. Mike. Magic Mike, Magic Mike. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they're all way Dear John. Okay, I'm giving it to the writers of Olympus. Writers don't get enough recognition, especially Done. for a movie like Olympus Has Fallen. So Exactly. All right. all right. Best Dialogue Award. So what's your favourite quote? Do you want me to kick it off? You kick it off. Go. All right. So I'll start with Olympus Has Fallen. I won't even try to do the gruff, chest-out, guttural execution of Mike Manning, but his line, hey, why don't you and I play a game of fuck off? You go first. It's just such 80s cliche dialogue, but yeah, I like that one. There's almost not enough of those lines in. Neither of these movies have particularly memorable dialogue. Do they? There's so many quotable lines from Die Hard. Yeah, that's right. None of them touch. Yeah, I think what's happening is I think that film, Last Action Hero, which was that Arnold Schwarzenegger film, which was a parody of 90s and 80s action films, kind of killed the one-liner quips. Which is bullshit because those one-liners fucking ruled. I hear you. I hear you. One more. Uh, Mike Banning says, 
classified, really? Well, right now, I believe I have the proverbial need to fucking know. Another one yeah. is Mike Banning. Yeah, I mean, these aren't good. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> They're made better by you doing the accent, though. Yeah. I'm sure everyone- Accent. All I'm basically doing is like- The voice, whatever. Speak, yeah, Grab exactly. White House Town. There was one funny part I quite liked when Kale, played by Chang Tatum, is driving in the Beast, the limousine, doing circle work, like carving up the front lawn of the White House, and they jump in the car- and um, the president, Jamie Foxx, goes to the back seat and Kale says, what the hell are you doing? And uh, the president says, sorry, force of habit, and then jumps in the front seat. I just thought it was uh, funny. Like, yeah. You know, it wasn't great. There's another bit in the same scene where President Sawyer says, I lost the rocket launcher. And Kale says, you lost? How do you lose a rocket launcher? Now, but he just dropped it out a window. Did he? I, I think, think he just, just sort of fell. It. Yeah, like it got bumped out of his hands or something. Yeah. Look, he didn't like actually misplace it. Like it turned no. out he put it in the fridge by accident. Right. Okay. You know, yeah. like you might yeah. lose your keys. Like one might do. Put there. Yeah. I accidentally flush my keys down the toilet all the time. It happens. So I don't know, mate. These are terrible. I begrudgingly give the winner of the best dialogue award to Olympus Has Fallen. By a millimetre. Yeah, okay. The true winner is all of the movies in the 80s and 90s that were happy to do one-liners. Fuck these movies. Totally. For not. All right, moving on. The Nicolas Cage Chewing the Scenery Award. I've got Olympus Has Fallen, Dylan McDermott, and White House Down, James Woods. Over to you. Jimmy Woods, obviously, but we don't want to give Jimmy Woods awards, so by default, let's just give it to Dylan McDermott. Okay. James Woods chews scenery in every movie he's in. He, he was great. By just breathing, James tragic, Woods you know. is chewing scenery. He's chewing Yeah, air. that's right. The Taking a Paycheck Award, which speaks for itself, I had Olympus Has Fallen, Ashley Judd, and White House Down, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins. I think they killed like three presidents off in White House Down. They think Jamie Foxx is dead. Then they killed the vice president who became the president. I oh, know they only killed two. That's a shame. Going for the record. Okay, Richard Jenkins. All right, I'm giving it to Ashley Judd. It's a draw. Okay. All right. Draw. The Stephen Tobolowsky Award, a.k.a. Hey, it's that guy, named after the iconic supporting actor Stephen Tobolowsky, who has appeared in over 260 films and TV shows. Many know him as the insurance salesman Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. So, Gabe, which actor triggered, hey, it's that guy, when he or she appeared on screen? Rick Yoon? You're like, oh, I remember that guy from Die Another Day. And Fast and the Furious, where's he been for the last 11 years? Yeah, I agree. I had, in the same film, I had Robert Forster from Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah, classic. And White House Down, I had Lance Reddick, who's the tall, oh, quite lean guy. black guy from The Wire. Yeah, Lance. Good and John so, too. shall we hand it to Lance? Yeah, hand it to Lance. Done. Lance. All right, moving on. The Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. Named after the actor Delroy Lindo, who played uh, key roles in Get Shorty, Heist, and A Life Less Ordinary. So, Olympus Has Fallen, I've got Angela Bassett and Robert Forster again. And White House Down, I've got Kevin Rankin, who plays Killick. I mentioned him before, who's famous for playing Hicks or, quote, white trash, unquote, unjustified and Breaking Bad. And Jason Clark, who played Stenz, and you know him from Terminator Genesis, Pet Cemetery, First Man, Brotherhood, Dawn or Something of the Apes, and Zero Dark Thirty. So Dawn or Something of the Apes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, was, it one of the apes movies. was it a Dawn or the Beginning or the Rise War? of the Planet of Rise. the Dawn of the Yeah. Whatever. So I don't know, tough one. 
Who's your winner? Jason Clark. He's Australian. Australians need work. Our dollar's not bad at the moment. All right. I've got Jason Clark. I'm also leaning towards Angela Bassett. Oh. All right. I agree. I'll go with you. Jason Clark. All right. So White House Down wins it. All right. The Memphis Reigns Award, inspired by the truly absurdly named character played by Nick Cage from Gone in 60 Seconds. Gabe. Which character steals the cake for the most ludicrous name? What's weird is the name Mike Banning isn't ludicrous, but it's awesome. And it just works. It just works. Mike Banning. Mike Banning. Yeah, I couldn't find any other more interesting names. There was General Edward Clegg played by Robert Forster. It's not like his name is like Shotgun Dropkick or something. I don't know why it would be that. Shotgun dropkick. I just yeah, love it. So- in your film, in your sort of like sequel, it's going to be shotgun dropkick. I was just and, trying and to think of like and- a tough name. <laughs> and does, does he go by his first name or his surname, his last name? Is he shotkick or is he shotty or is he I don't know. Kickers? Look, shotgun dropkick and like brawler chest hair or something. You know, like real manly name. <laughs> brawler chest hair. Oh, yeah, you know. I love it. I'm bra- brawler chest hair. I don't know. He must go but by like, chesty, right? Chesty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like Mike Banning. Mike Banning. Mike Banning. Mike Banning. Mm. It just works. Yeah. It's got to be that. It's really good. Certainly All better right. than Kale. Okay. Olympus has fallen as one with the absurdly named Mike Banning. All right. Next award, the Memento Award, named for moments you completely forgot about until you rewatch these movies, starting with Olympus Has Fallen. Ideas? I remember most of this movie. I actually Honestly, forgot how violent it was. Oh, no one forgets the first time they saw Mike Banning stab someone in the head. <laughs> you know, Look, for me, so- it's that fucking squirrel in White House Down. I told- How do you- What the fuck? You can't- <laughs> it was, It's that. And I'm sorry for the profanity. I realise that that might- we got to beep that up. But honestly, no, no, they would bleeping. open the movie with that dang squirrel. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so it has to go to White House Down. Just put that me in a hell good. of a mood watching the rest of the movie. Hell of a mood. <laughs> All right, the Die Hard Award. Okay, this is ironic. So we get this award every episode, and it couldn't be more apt than now. The Die Hard Award is named after the influence of Die Hard in inspiring a subgenre of everyday heroes who are up against a group of baddies. In a single location, like Under Siege, which was inspired by Die Hard. So, if imitation is the ultimate form of flattery, did either of these movies leave a legacy by inspiring a crop of clones? Now, I would say that they're, they're all rip-offs, basically rip-offs themselves, right? What is a clone of a clone? It's just Michael Keaton's weird clone in multiplicity. A, semi, a semi-clone? A double clone? Yeah. A double Yeah, chunk? no. I mean, Olympus Has Fallen has sequels, so there you go. That also left the contained idea, you know, in London has fallen, he runs all over London stabbing people in the head. (laughs) You know, they always talk about like knife crime in London. Mike Banning did it all. He was ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. It's a draw. Okay. Okay. The Milking the Speed Cow Dry Award. (laughs) Every time I say that, I always feel like I'm reading out the winner at the version of the Oscar pornos from... Boogie Nights. <laughs> well, they're a collection of words, but I don't understand what any of them mean. Well, it's based together. on... Now, it's named after the infamous sequel, Speed 2. We go over this every time. <laughs> we took the high just, stakes of Runaway's like Boys. jerking Arts. off a bull speeding down the highway. <laughs> All right. So, could you make a sequel to either of these films? Well, I guess we could, and they have. So, you know what? Maybe that leads us to doing our third movie mashup, right? So... 
Olympus Has Fallen did do a sequel. In fact, it did two. London Has Fallen and Angel Has Fallen. So let's go with this. Imagine this. You're the studio executive, I think it was Sony, that made White House Down. Olympus Has Fallen has beaten you to the punch in the first instance. It was released before you at the box office back in 2013. It then raced ahead and made two sequels, London Has Fallen and Angel Has Fallen. You're looking around thinking, do we just give up now? It's been six years. Or do we go, you know what? Jamie Foxx, Channing Tatum, they're still so hot right now. What the hell? Let's give it another go. Let's bring back Roland Emmerich, or maybe not, and do a sequel to White House Down to possibly reclaim. This is like the makers of Gone 60 Seconds saying, we were the first before The Fast and the Furious. They've now gone ahead and made, what, eight, nine films now, including Hobbs and Shaw? Exactly. No one actually knows. So if you were to try and play catch-up now, pitch to me, we'll work it out together. What would be the sequel to White House Down that could possibly build a whole universe and take over the franchise of Olympus Has Fallen? What do we do? Where do we start? All right, so running into the boss, I was hey, higher executive than me, Chad. Remember that movie that cost $150 million to make and made like opened up number four behind the second week of World War Z? Yeah, okay, we need to make a sequel to that. Okay, is our sequel same budget or are we going like DTV route? Oh, good question. So basically, do you like take the name? Is it like that whole American Pie situation where you take American Pie Presents or whatever yeah, like, and you do like going, a spin-off? Oh, we'll make a sequel. This is a great idea you've got here, young junior executive. I don't know, but we can only do it for – we've got a $6 million budget and you can't have Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx. You've got to have – some other guys who are more Okay, oh, this is good. Okay, okay, let's break this down. So if we go the direct-to-TV or the Netflix spin-off model, which is like those American Pie side films, or Sniper, you know that film Sniper with Tom Berenger? Oh, they been like nine three? of them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Or four. There's that version. Or we do the whole Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw where we could basically spin it off on a big scale with – some of the characters, or the third version is just doing a conventional sequel if you can possibly tempt back Jamie Foxx and Channing Tatum with a big paycheck. Okay. I'm thinking the third option is less likely because they won't be as keen. And also, like, do I want more of this? Like, you're just serving me up another dose of shit sandwich. Like, no good. Is he still president? Is he set? I don't know. Like, just more of the same. Is he stuck in the White House again? I mean, that's a bit unimaginative. I think, do we go, you guys, it's your fault in the same way that Michael Bay blamed Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson for the failure of the island. We here blame Jamie Foxx and Channing Tatum for the failure of this. We go, we like the title. We like some ideas around the premise. We want Frank Grillo to be in a $7 million sequel. Okay, I like what you're doing there. So Frank Grillo, A, great actor. B, plays a supporting side character in big films. For example, he played that character, I think it was Crossbow or Crossbrain or something. <laughs> Crossbrain. In, uh, was it Avengers? No, it was Civil War. One of them. One of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, Right. Yeah. So he's worked in the Marvel Universe. Hasn't he been in like a Purge sequel as well? Yeah, he was in a good Purge movie. I think okay. he might have been in two Purge movies. But he's and definitely he was also- one good Purge movie. He did that TV series where he was playing a fighter of some sort. Kingdom, yep. 
Yeah. So, basically, he's a good-looking, athletic guy. He's kind of Tom Cruise-esque in that he stays in shape, does a lot of his own stunts, seems to work incredibly hard. Like, it seems that he's incredibly appreciative of the opportunities and makes the most of it. He played a character in Willman, a direct-to-Netflix film. I think he's attached to the remake of The Raid. The guy likes to work. He's talented. He's up for it. I like that. Now, the question is, do we recast the role or do we have a similar circumstance with him playing an alternative character? Yeah, no, he's, he's got a new character. It'd be called like White House Down, colon, something, like back on duty or some sort of thing that designates it as part of the White House Down universe, but it is its own new beast. Okay, how about this? What if we have a similar premise to a Secret Service hero trying to save the president? However, it's six years later, so naturally, it's likely to be a different president. It's a different Secret Service agent, and we take the template from that film Safe House with Denzel Washington and Ryan Reynolds, where essentially he has to take the president and move him on whilst they're being chased. So rather than limiting it to one location, like in White House Down, we had them on the run. Almost similar to Escape from New York, right? All right. He has to basically, or that film 12 Blocks with Bruce Willis, right? I'm going to throw a curveball at you, though. Go for it. In the same way that White House Down felt like Jamie Foxx was playing a riff on Obama, right? What if this new one, the president, is some sort of a riff on Trump and halfway through the movie we find out, bam, he's actually been compromised by foreign intelligence agents and is in fact the villain. So turn it around that way. He's, Frank Grillo is no longer having to protect the president. He has to get the president. Okay, let's triple down. What if Frank oh, yeah. Grillo has to protect the president but it's not someone that he likes? That's oh, okay. part of his job. So he didn't vote for the president, but it's his job to save the president. And the president in the film, this fictional president, has been particularly belittling to him. But he puts his job above personal politics, and then it becomes like a buddy cop film, right? It's like Midnight Run. The president is the annoying character, and Frank Grillo is playing the Robert De Niro character who has to get get this guy from first base to home base – despite this guy being a schmuck, this fictional president, and basically putting them both in danger. Right, okay, I like it. Can we get just a little bit of that sort of Snake Plissken vibe and at some point give him a choice and he just kicks the president off a skyscraper? And he says, you know what, you're right, president, I didn't vote for you. Ah! Oh, okay, or controversial. (laughs) I don't know. You know, we were talking before about these movies sometimes don't follow all the way through with their hard moral choices. Like, what if the terrorists are like, you have only one choice here, Frank Grillo. You can kill the president or we're going to kill a million people. And he looks down at the president and the president is just some sort of like corpulent fuckhead man beast slobbering all over a burger and he hasn't liked him this whole time. And he's just like, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a hard decision. Well, that's definitely the low budget straight to a streaming service model because- it's more morally complex. So, okay, if we're doing the $30 million version where we don't have giant explosions, we have a man on the run like 12 Blocks or like Escape from New York, we could do that version because it's morally complex and with a lower budget, we're allowed to do that. Why are they trying to chase this particular president? What's their agenda? Is it to get some sort of code to nuclear arms or something Who else? the villains? 
Yeah. Well, who are the villains? Let's rule out villains for a start. Which villains okay. have been done to death already? Let's so work through a checklist. they're not the Crimson Jihad. True Life okay. did that. You know. They can't be yeah. Russians. That's been done too many times in Bond films. It's almost too prescient. Okay. <laughs> they can't be Chinese because Hollywood's adverse to that because that's a now a huge international market for the consumption of films. North Koreans have been done before in James Bond films and in films like Olympus Has Fallen, so yeah, rule yeah. them out. Okay. Do we go for white nationalists like in White House Down? We probably can't. We're doing a sequel, right? What about like a militant wing of QAnon or something? Oh, yeah? Okay. Or they could be, I guess they could be hackers. Yeah, but hackers always kind of like, you can't, Frank Like Die Hard 4. Be yeah, critically acclaimed, Die Hard 4. Frank Grillo can beat up hackers easily. Okay. Like someone who, Scott Adkins is not a hacker. Okay. Scott Adkins and Frank Grillo could fight. That'd be good. Okay, so Jimmy Simpson doesn't have any high-kicking karate skills, so we need someone like – it could be a traitor. Oh, yeah. So it could be like the protection detail, for whatever reason, turning sort of like against that, the president. That Michael Douglas movie, The Sentinel, which ah, know, presumably never saw no one it. remembers. Yeah, so Michael Douglas is a Secret Service agent who's like framed up for okay. something or other, and Kiefer Sutherland is chasing him. Okay, or it could be like Ed Harris's clan, those guys in – the Rock. Well, that's probably too similar to White House Down. Already. Yeah. So that's that's military. So it's got to be some sort of deep state shit, then, doesn't it? Doesn't have to be some sort of like the phone or, call is coming from within the building. Is it too politically incorrect to make them like violent liberals, like activists, well, like Antifa? Like yeah, or like what if, for example, there was a situation where this happened at a university campus, and <laughs> oh, for whatever no. reason, this is, this is getting problematic. Quick, smart. White House Down uh, Two. Problematic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, we need baddies. Okay, we need baddies. Come on, think baddies. I mean, what are they motivated? Like, are they just people motivated by cash money? I mean, you wouldn't try and kill the president well, for cash okay. money. It has to be political. Okay. How about this? Let's go for some morally complex antagonists that we can empathise with. So, what if, for example, this happened somewhere like in a depressed developing country, and the Characters, the antagonists actually don't want to kill the president in this pitch. They just want to hold him hostage for money because they're just struggling. They're poor. And our hero has to basically get them out before he's kidnapped and used as ransom. So they're not like trying to do anything malicious. They're just trying to look for what is essentially their golden goose. So it could be, for example- Does our hero need to be somehow connected to them as well? So he's torn between the allegiance- that he's sworn an oath to protect the president whom he doesn't like versus these people whom he yes, has some sort of grudging respect he's of, to. he's perhaps of, let's say, his Colombian heritage and the president's in Colombia and there's some sort of protest, much like there's been in Hong Kong recently, and there's like kind of like civil unrest and everything falls apart and then he has to get him across from one side of the town to the other before he's kidnapped for ransom by these poverty-stricken, struggling antagonists that we empathise with in theory. <laughs> so Frank really beats up a bunch of poor, struggling, impoverished, hungry Colombians. Okay, take that back. Walk that back. Okay, <laughs> that's not going to work. Okay, we need a baddie. We need a baddie. He doesn't have to use lethal force. You probably don't want him snapping the arms of malnourished. Okay, you know, I've got it. Farmers. I've got it. Okay. What if it's like The Edge with Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin and that the plane goes down or that film that featured – Samuel L. Jackson, where he's the president in a plane that goes down the wilderness 
and he's being chased by some mercenaries and that little kid has to try and save the president, Samuel Jackson. Oh, yeah. What if it's something yeah. like that? So it's a, they're up, he's up against the wilderness. Oh, so it's like a movie that Frank Grillo was in, The Grey, but only it's just a slovenly, childish asshole president and his stoic Secret Service agent who has to take him across vast Alaskan countryside to safety. Okay, so the villain is the environment, which makes it very different from Olympus Has Fallen. It's the grey meets Midnight Run meets Safe House. Okay. It's got this fish-out-of-water elements there. There's it's lower plain. budget, less explosions. Okay, yep. yep. Okay. Is it too boring for our mainstream audience, or on this budget, can we justify it? Well, here's the other thing. This doesn't sound like a comedy whatsoever. Or maybe there's some comedic elements. Oh, where are we going with genre here? Like, like White House Down didn't quite settle on what it was. Are we? This sounds kind of serious. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking more like the tone of the grey. If you're going for a survivalist film like that film Alive, which devolved into cannibalism, or The Grey, with when you're trying to punch wolves in the face with a glass bottle stuck to your hands with gaffer tape. Yep. I'm thinking this is serious with odd quips of occasional levity just to try and reduce the tension, but otherwise serious. What do you think? Okay, yeah. So we can't have too much of a, a Jamie Foxx-esque version of a riff on Trump then as our president because that would just be too comedically grotesque. It needs so who are we casting? Who are we casting? Are we still going with Frank Grillo as the agent in the- 100%. Yeah, Frank okay. Grillo owns this space. So who's going to be a president who's recognisable but fictional? Is it an actor who needs to be in their 50s or 60s? Yeah. Do we go for male or female? Well, that's a fair point. You know, it could certainly be a female president. Why not? I would want to go a female we're- president if we're going to demonise the president in this no, no. film. No, no. So I think we'll go for a male one. Otherwise, we don't want to confuse gender politics here. No, that's right. And, and if it was a, if it was a woman, good. it'd be like that Idris Ilba Kate Winslet surviving the wilderness movie that nobody saw. I like they fall in love. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we don't want them falling in love. We don't want this, this to be a version of Castaway with Tom Hanks. We want to have them kind of doing shtick against each other in a more serious film. A bit like The Revenant perhaps as well, that kind of thing. Do we have a moment like in Empire Strikes Back where he kills a bear and the president has hypothermia and has to cut the bear open and push him inside pushing and pulling the innards of the bear aside to make space to keep him warm, to stop him from dying. I like it. And then at the end, in a final dramatic irony, just when they think they're going to be rescued, some Appalachian hillbilly hunters shoot the president, thinking he's a bear. (laughs) And then the movie just ends on It's tragic. It ends on like a freeze frame. It's like, oh, this truly is the some thematic thing that I don't quite understand and haven't thought through. What is it? I don't know. I like it. Okay. And what's the title for our sequel called? White House Down 2. Now Richard Gere is the president. How about White House Downer? Perfect. Okay. I see what you did there. Very clever, right? All right. Yeah. So I think we've solved the problem. We're doing a $10 million survivalist film, which involves a the heroes- So it's Frank uh, Grillo escorting President Richard Gere across Alaskan wilderness while Richard Gere is dressed as a bear. But it's a very serious movie. Which ends on a downer. And we call this film White House Downer. Okay, I like it. Gabe, thanks very much. That's a license to print money right there. Done. Hollywood? WMA on the phone. You have your solution. All right.
Mate, I think we'll have to uh, tie a bow on this bad boy and call it a night. Fair enough. I think it brings us to the end of the show. Gabe, where can listeners find more of your work and musings this week? I guess on Twitter, I guess, at Gabe Dowrick. Wow, that was a very convincing promotional pitch. Don't go on Twitter. Twitter's terrible. You love your Twitter. You can find me there. All right, you can find me. I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube.com slash Ben Phelps. You can find all of my individual podcasts, including Twin Movies and What Happens Next, curated within one mega podcast called The Ben Phelps Show in the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. And of course, you can find this podcast, Twin Movies, in all those places too. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take care and stay tuned for another Twin Movies battle very soon. Gabe, it's been a blast mate thank you so much catch you again my pleasure goodbye